Adventures. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hello and, and welcome to Talking Teenagers. Uh, we are uh, lucky this afternoon to be talking to Henry Bullock from Boys in Mind, a charity that does a huge amount of work for young people. Hello, Henry. How Hello. Are you doing? Hello, James and James. Um, I wonder if we can just start off by you, you telling us a little bit about yourself and, and what you now do. Yeah, of course. So I was was diagnosed with, with autism when I was was very, very young. Um, I was also diagnosed with, with ADHD. And, and, and recently, I have had um, some quite severe psychotic episodes. So I've I have been involved with with a lot of mental health services. I've been involved with with a lot of safeguarding teams as well for for some time now. I know how it all works as a service user, you know, from from that perspective. Um, my work with with Boys in Mind at the moment is is very much um, as an advisor role. So I've just started on a project based on making a film around feminism and how women's impact on on young men's mental health. Can can encourage that that vulnerability that we're looking for with young men, where where we we are looking for them to, to come forward and talk about how they're feeling. You've described in your own journey a kind of a cocktail of yeah. challenges, really, haven't you? Yeah. Um, autism, ADHD, depression. Any one of those is is challenging in itself. And you and uh, you said you're a service user. Kind of, could you unpack each of those a little bit for us, but also just talk about strategies that you found have really worked in yeah, combating those absolutely so um autism for me um has has well will always be be a struggle and always will be a challenge so i i was diagnosed when i was very very young and and that journey i, I found myself pushing back against that diagnosis quite quite hard i didn't feel as if i i was autistic i didn't I didn't recognize or, or so um, how old were you henry were you? Uh, i was six when I was when I was diagnosed, <clears throat> so I I really rebelled against that idea, and, and I found myself sort of mimicking behaviour of peers. That led to kind of disassociation of my own emotions and my own feelings because I, I wasn't true to who I, I I actually was, and and during the time that there was. It felt to me as if there was a, a quite a large emphasis on telling young people with autism what it is they wouldn't be able to do, what it is they would struggle to do, instead of encouraging this culture and this language that that would encourage them to to understand what their limitations might be, but how they can overcome them. For example, um, a lot of young people with with autism, or a lot of people with with autism, are told, you know, you are you have this predisposition towards anxiety. Okay, that's fair enough. Why on earth do we all have anxiety? Why are we all anxious? Okay, well, it's it's regarding. Um, how the world is is overstimulating so noises sounds textures they overstimulate you 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 feel anxious what what is the result of anxiety what are one of the symptoms what's heightened perception you're more aware of what's going on around you you can take in smaller and finer details and you're you're very attuned to those things so instead of telling a six-year-old you're more likely to be anxious tell him you're more likely to have a heightened sense of perception and, and be able to identify, you know, fine details. And that's that's a skill. That's a real, real thing that that you should be encouraging and, and you know, 
helping in your life. I have a, a child who's autistic. What's often identified as what an autistic person doesn't have that the sort of in inverted commas the general population does. Mm. Whereas one of the things you're saying is if you flip that round, actually uh, my son has a capabilities of seeing and hearing and identifying stuff that, that I don't, you know, and to see it as a strength. Sorry, uh, there's a lovely line in a, in a book I read recently. You think of sort of people like Greta Thunberg and using the line that being different is, is a way of being awesome. And actually often it's different people that, that are making the world and, yeah, and changing the world. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the people on, on the fringes. It's, it's, the, it's the fringe groups the who, are, who are encouraging society to move forward. Without that diversity then you will you will never grow as a society if there's there's one thing with with autism in particular the the only thing that keeps us or or makes us as a group the same is just how individual and unique we all are that's the only thing we have in common you know there are no two people with autism that are the same you might be able to identify with some of the other things that that someone with autism has but it is so unique to you your your sensory issues for for example i don't like mushrooms i think they're like little slugs um <laughs> there, are, there are also uh, you know other people who have sensory issues with the things they eat i can identify and i can empathize with that but not those individual little feelings and that is the thing that makes us so united is our utter uniqueness and, and it's getting to a, a point isn't it where you really celebrate and enjoy your uniqueness yeah, absolutely rather than feeling like you're a freak or a geek yeah. or a... we were we were told actually with our son they, they said the starting point was once you've met once someone with autism you've met one person with autism <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is exactly right. what you're saying is it you know that the things that we're going to tell you may or may not apply there are broad brushstrokes aren't there in the life of autism that we understand but actually they are broad brushstrokes and to suggest that that they in any way kind of highlight the, the sort of individuality is, is erroneous and, and not right i mean there was one thing i found really helpful uh, they gave us a few in, images that i did find helpful which have definitely been true of my son doesn't necessarily have been true of others but two images one was when he walks into a room for most of us, we turn the lights on and we get a general concept of the room, don't, they, don't we? With him, they said it's a bit like he switches on a torch mm. and he sees with infinite kind of capacity just moments and with real fine detail parts of the room. He might not see all of it, but that's a real skill, isn't it? Yeah, is that absolutely. something that resonates with you? Or yeah, is it... like very much so. For, for me, it's sound right. and, and how I hear sound. And, and funnily enough, it... it, it actually played into part of my psychosis um <laughs> where i so from a very young age the the sound of a drill for example in the in the next room was was utterly unbearable and it it was i later found that it was that what i found unbearable was um hearing a sound that was unidentifiable there was there was nothing to it it was just a droning sort of noise that was there and it would have a, a vibration to it it would have a feeling to it and it was not being able to connect to those two so i feel this vibration from this sound i can't quite identify what it is it's just this droning thing and i what i've done is, is i've kind like of like a sort of toothache almost yeah or... I've, I've you know they, there's little categories of them they're all split up into little things and how they're processed in my mind is is considerably 
completely different to, to how someone else might might process them. So yeah, it, it's it is like that torch thing, but with sound. So, so you're like, the fine tune of different noises. Do they associate yeah. in your mind emotions, or are they associated with you know how do how do you kind colors. of colors? Colors, okay, yeah, interesting. Absolutely. If if I close my eyes, with a sound will come a flash of color. And that's, that's not too distressing, and I, I quite enjoy it sometimes. But when, when it's a distressing sound, when it's an unpleasant sound, then those colours can be quite quite wild, and they, they, they can be... They're not so much... Certainly not a hallucination or anything when I'm with my eyes open, but with my eyes closed, then it's it's a different different ballgame altogether, and I, I can see lots and lots of little flashes. So do, have you found that you've had i mean i use it for coping strategies or whatever but ways of taking that sort of heightened sensory uh, sense sensory skill that you've found have been effective or has has anyone given you useful ways into seeing you know what you've been going through i mean i just wonder what's worked for you and coming back to this idea that when you met one person with autism yeah. you met one person but are there any kind of broad brushstrokes if you like that have been helpful to you I've yet to find one where it, it's a, a physical thing. So emotionally or uh, being able to think in a certain way has, has been a massive, massive benefit to me. So being able to, like, I, I, can, I, I like to write and, and I enjoy writing and being able to express uh, a sensation, a feeling, an emotion via words is is a lot more powerful for me than than being able to to talk about them so by being disconnected from those feelings in a you know in in the real world it's allowed me to process them in in a more meaningful way uh on on written paper one of the other things that, that was said and again um, was that uh, my son was a bit like a can of coke which sounds like a terrible thing to say <laughs> but but actually it doesn't take much for him in the morning to get fizzy quite quickly if you shake him two or three times we've noticed that going back to school post lockdown obviously there's a lot of changes to the way schools are operating for him any break to that routine is causes him and he you know you only have to sort of shake the coat can a few times before he's he's fizzing much more than perhaps and again i don't like the terminology but an ordinary or a yeah, child might do yeah, yeah neurotypical child might so We've definitely noticed that. Uh, how, I guess, part of the strategy for him, some change is inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, of course. But actually, there are ways in which we can help him identify things that are going to shake his can or prepare him for them. Or even going on holiday for us is a, you know, getting him to see where we're going, have a look at pictures, explain what the building will be like, what's the area like, what might a typical day look like. It's all been really helpful. Is that common kind of... Yeah. So if you are in a situation where, you know, you have a young person who, who is autistic and, and you aren't quite sure if they are completely prepared for what is going on, my best advice would be almost go through uh, your own checklist of things that you you think need to be done. Like, is uh, what are these things that are imperative and, and absolutely essential that are completed on this date, on this time, and then go through them and 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 just sit down and say, right, okay, on this day we need to do this one thing. Are you happy with that? And and just try to ease those kind of things gently in, and uh, you know, less shakes of the can, as you said, um, the the less likely you are to have this, the uh, you know, kind of meltdown 
um, or a bit of a wobble um, and, and things can just, just go a little bit slower. I've always said that I, I consider myself to be a good five years behind the rest of my peers and that's with a lot of things. When I, when I move into a new property, it's going to take me six months longer to fully adjust to everything that's going on in this area, to find a place to go for a run, to find the local gym, it's it's just going to take a little bit longer because there's there's going to be emotions connected with with the previous place I've been or the school or uh, you know wh- wherever. I guess it's just um, anticipating as well, isn't it? You know, identifying you're going to need your haircut. You can't just say to our son, you're going to need your haircut. He absolutely hates having his haircut. I mean, with a total passion. So you have to sort of say three weeks out. I think at some point in the next month, you're going to have to get your haircut (laughs) and therefore give him a little time to get used to the idea. And like you were saying, it's like walking around a new building. Sometimes it's walking around a new idea, isn't it? It's walking around a new, okay, this is going to happen, but allow them to just kind of feel the weight of it and actually sometimes you know allow them to express how difficult they're going to find it we moved into a new house about 18 months ago we'd spend a lot of time more time on his room than any other room in the house trying to get it ready and he walked in and the first few times you walked in i hate it i hate <laughs> this room because <laughs> there's a part of you that kind of going you have no idea how much time we've tried to put into this but actually just knowing that that's part of the process for him to become now he loves his room you know, but it is like you say, walking around a space, and part of that is allowing that emotional response to it, which is inevitably going to be initially, yeah. this is not. I am uncomfortable in this place. Have, you, have yeah. you got to a place, Henry, where you almost celebrate and are thankful for the way that you are, or do you feel that to be the way you are is a setback? There, <laughs> there was a time just before COVID where um, it, it felt like those things were starting to happen and I felt like I was being able to celebrate, you know, the community that I was in. Unfortunately, the, my my friend, uh, Bill Tucker, who was also an autistic man, he was uh, a lecturer at Bath College. We became very close friends. He was running a workshop called Understanding Autism. He was just about to do a PhD on um, connecting people within the autistic community and then unfortunately he passed away so I you know that those were the first steps towards me feeling as if I was able to celebrate um, autism as in general and and you know creating this community and this 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 idea came to me that that one of the the greatest injustices that we have within the autistic community is this idea that we have to be less us in order to succeed. So we have been taught, and, and for a lot of you know people from, from my age, my generation, we have been taught that if you want to be successful in w- the world, you have to suppress your autism. So when something goes wrong in the workplace, most people with autism will blame themselves and not the environment that they're in, not look at the environment and say, hang on, this needs to be a little bit more tailored to me rather than me being tailored towards you know that working environment and uh, and whilst people are still 
feeding on that that idea then then that injustice will continue is um do you feel i mean i mean i'm very interested in that because of course a lot of buildings up until pre-covid are really going with that open plan kind of which is for an autistic person is the worst environment you can put them in you know with hundreds of distractions and noises and sights and all the rest of it interestingly one of the things that covid has raised is this idea of being able to work in your own space being comfortable in that and working in a you know wherever it might be which strikes me as a, as a real opportunity for employers businesses to really get the very best out of because yeah. i mean i think it's universally agreed that people with autism are often fantastic contributors yeah, to new ideas yeah. to you know to, to their businesses and companies um there are still glimmers aren't there in that and i and even looking at different employers who are having sort of autism friendly or whatever the, the phraseology is kind of setups or apprenticeships there is more happening isn't there there is yeah absolutely that there, there is an awful lot more happening i i've always always said with with the idea of, of autism and and um the workplace is that if, if you have someone in a wheelchair and they are fantastic at their job and they turn up every day and they, and they do it perfectly all of a sudden, a manager turns around and says, oh, you, you're doing really well. Let, let's, let's see how you get on with the stairs this week. You know, we, we're not going to let you have your little ramp. We're not going to provide those support kind of elements anymore. And then that person starts to, you know, fail at their job. It's the same with autism. The difference is that the ramp is emotional support. It's quite wearing and quite draining for um, your, your average manager. To, to kind of to, to support that person with autism. So having environments where... In that sense, are there any professions that are particularly suitable, do you think? Or is it, again, that's a very broad question. Yeah, it, it is a very broad question. And it's, it's difficult to answer because I think it's, it's very much down to the individual. But I know a lot of people with autism are self-employed because it, it allows them that freedom to work their own way. Um, I've always said that it's going to take me a little bit longer to pick up your procedures and the way you do things. But once I do, I'll be doing it 10 times better than, you know, someone who's been here for 30 years. Yeah, I just need that little bit of extra time to do it. So if people are able to disclose during interviews and are able to kind of address the, um, the kind of adjustments that are needed, um, then, yeah, I, I, I think uh, you know, any job can be, can be right for someone with, with autism, depending on that individual person. So there's a d degree of which, you know, in order to get the best, there's a degree of patience and seeing the long term rather than the short term. It strikes me that the journey is it's really important that sufferers, are you a sufferer of autism or, a, you know, somebody who has autism really accepts and loves themselves? Um, and that, that that's really important that as parents, you know, parents don't spend their lives suppressing what is in that individual, but actually lets them be fully who they are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, are we, so I, you know, I, I can, I consider myself as, as, you know, someone with autism and, and, but it doesn't necessarily define who I am. So, um, visual stims or ticks. For, for a lot of parents or for a lot of people can be quite disturbing. When, when, when a young, young person is, is flapping their arms around or, you know, I've, I've got a guitar pick here that I'm constantly twiddling with, that can be bizarre for some people. 
some people find that quite offensive. So or em- embarrassing, I think. Yeah, yeah embarrassing. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Why are they doing yeah. this? You know, I, I don't don't quite understand it. Not for the person with autism, but for the parents, <laughs> you know, for the, the, the relatives, for, for siblings, whoever else. So knowing and understanding that something like a, a tick or a stim um, is actually just a way of that person being able to control this out of control stimulation or stimulatory sort of bombardment that's going on around them if they're walking through a supermarket or something like that knowing that that person they might not be happy but they're doing something that's keeping them you know on an even kill um and and not suppressing those ideas not not suppressing that is is a good thing if someone's rocking backwards and forwards on the sofa watching telly and making a little humming noise it's not because they're in distress it's because they're actually quite relaxed and and not not pushing that out and suppressing it because it might be frustrating for you as a parent or a sibling is extremely important so the message for parents is 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 to not work too hard at making that young person conform yes let them be who they are let them be who they are absolutely let them be who they are and when when they need to talk spend a couple of extra minutes just listening because it might be very difficult for that young person to to fully express what it is they they need to express um, and it may come across in, in quite a convoluted and and yeah, you know confused way. I think a, a couple of other things just picking up talking to you is is giving them the permission to say I don't understand um, and, and and allowing that and not expecting them to pick up everything and and to to give them ownership of the fact that they're not understanding so they're going to need to express that to somebody. Um, but also I think one of the things you said was just owning the fact that they are and making that clear to people around them sometimes. I was in a situation completely unrelated to my son. Where I was sat next to somebody and they turned to me. We were asked to do something in a group and they turned to me and said, Look, I'm going to find this awkward, I'm autistic. It was a woman actually. And I thought that was great that she was able to just be so... It really made it a lot easier for me as well as making it easier for her. And I think um, to have... I, I think that's where this whole idea of seeing autism as something, you know, back to the book I've just read, you know, being different is awesome. And actually, if you can get into a place where actually you sort of see, you know, there are de- definite things about autism which are strengths, you know, that ability to see very clearly, you know, to a greater depth you know, that actually you begin to really walk and experience this sort of, yeah, no, this is a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely, it's a positive thing. And it, it just it just needs to be embraced and accepted, you know, by, by more people. And, and but also so, by themselves. And also by themselves, yeah. absolutely. We, we, had, um, we had a house meeting here recently, and, and one of the, the guys here has um, OCD. So he will jump down the last three steps of any, any steps that he comes across. So the banister gets a bit of a hard time, and it's, it's sort of broken away. And, and the discussion was around how, how do we resolve that? And, and I pointed out that if, if there is any place in this country where we should not have to change to fit in with, with you know, the neurotypical world, it's here. Reinforce the banister. Make it, make it you know, this OCD proof in, instead of, you know, try and uh, crush the OCD out of someone because that's never going to work. Um, uh, again, it's, it's like the ramp again. You know, you, you can't take away the ramp. 
Yeah, and that, that's a really interesting. I think the rampant image is a fascinating one because, of course, it's it, people can see it. And so much of, and I, you know, again, I don't really like the word disability, but so much of the challenges that other people face are often invisible. And actually for us to sort of use terminology that allows us to see that there is, that's the kind of issue we're talking about is really helpful for parents, for teachers, for employers. Could you just offer, I'm conscious that actually... Um, autism exhibits itself in slightly different ways with girls to boys and actually there's a lot more diagnosis happening with girls now it used to just be seen as a a boys thing didn't it but it's not true could you just give some insights into that yeah so i I have um three very very close female friends with with autism and and each and every one of them um they they talk about how the biggest problem they've had is is mimicking is is copying other people and and that has led to them disassociating from their own feelings where they are expected to understand these these very emotional and complex sort of feelings because they are young women and when they don't it's easier for them to sit quietly and read a book, separate themselves from the crowd and go go missed because, you know, it's okay for a young woman to sit there and, and just read a book. Um, I also know a young woman with, with autism who, who says her experience of, of mental health and access to services is far more akin to the, the kind of the male stereotype where, you know, she didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to communicate she had these issues because she not only had the stigma of having quite quite severe mental health problems but she also had the stigma of being a young woman with autism and and there is a lot of stigma around that i think a lot of a lot of young women are diagnosed later on in yeah. in their their years um i only know one who who was 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 diagnosed um before she was 17 wow Henry, that's been really, uh, really interesting. You come across, Henry, as a really, um, you know, you're a great conversationalist and, and, and really seem yeah, very articulate and, and eloquent. And, and I think that all acts in your favour. And, and the fact that you're working with uh, an organisation like Boys in Mind, you seem to have an understanding and a desire to help others, which I think is really laudable too. So and I, I think if you, if you can embrace the idea that one of the most generous things you can do in life is to just pay attention to people, just pay attention to to what is going on in someone else's life and have have empathy to say, okay, maybe that's the reason they're behaving this way. Maybe there's a story behind it. Then you will grow as a person and society will grow as a result of that. And that's a really good message for parents, isn't it, of people who aren't autistic is giving them, them the mechanisms and teaching them to see people in that light and to have an understanding and a, and a sympathy, well, sympathy is the wrong word, but an empathy with um, a compassion for a celebration of people that are different to them. And uh, we're talking about something very specific here, but actually that's a message for all parents, for all kids, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icanandiam.com. Be a song.